and welcome to Force Spikes. As always, I am your host, Jonathan, along with my co-host, Greg. Hey, everybody. And we also have uh, Max with us today and Judge Jarrett. I'm going to start calling you that. Huh? Is that cool? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, because you're a judge. Are you your level one or two? I'm level one. Okay. Soon to be level two, we hope. Cause you, Maybe. You had a... Oh, you have a test coming up this Saturday? Um, I'm going to try and take it. Um, if I'm not ready, I probably won't. Okay. Cool. Well, let's hop right into it. Uh, we have an awesome show for you today, and we want to start off by thanking our hosts, MTGCast and ChannelFireball.com, for hosting uh, Four Spikes. So, this has been an awesome weekend for Magic. We had a Pro Tour and a Grand Prix We'll just jump right into it. If you are listening to this, you've probably seen the coverage by now. So Ben Stark got there. Uh, America took it home, which is awesome. And a really interesting deck, actually. Uh, if you haven't got a chance, check out... Well, first you can see a lot of the coverage. Um, but you can also check out all the deck lists on ChannelFireball.com. And I think the MTG main site has it as well, right? So Ben Stark had his Kago list. With only eight creatures main deck, four Squadron Hawks, and four Stoneforge Mystics. He also had Gideon, as well as the uh, obligatory Celestial Colonnades. Um, pretty awesome, although uh, it's interesting, because that's kind of like a very like bare minimum amount of creatures you want to be able to carry your equipment that you're running in this deck. But, uh, of course, the Squadron Hawks count as 4+, right? Because any one of them, they, they kind of uh, cycle through each other. But pretty pretty interesting how few creatures this deck is running, and running two equipment, a uh, Silvok Life Stack and the Sword of Feast and Famine. Um, Greg, what there's, also, there's also um, Sword of Body and Mind coming out of the board. Right. And um, Elspeth Tyrell, which creates bodies. Um, Elspeth's not in Stark's list. Uh, really? Is it in the sideboard? No, but there is Elspeth in some of the other uh, blue-white decks. Okay, because I was under the impression, I was actually under the strict impression that um, LSV, Efro, uh, Ben, and Owen were running the exact same list. Um, no. And they all top 16. No, so maybe, they, there's, maybe there's... Uh, Tom Mark has Elspeth in the sideboard, but and then Naoki Nakata, who has a slightly different list, has two in the main yeah, actually Nakata's list was super interesting. I thought uh, I I, li- go ahead. I liked it less because I didn't. I I like playing only the awesome card advantage two drops as opposed to Sun Titan. Yeah, I think Sun Titan is is. Uh, I mean, I I'm I'm kind of the other way with it. I think Sun Titan is absolutely phenomenal because you get uh, you know you you get a lot of different opportunities for value out of it because you're obviously running your creatures, although this one is only running four. But it's also getting back your tectonic edges, your uh, marsh flats. Um, it can get back your... Oh, he's not running little Jace in here. So do we want to actually talk about what are in all the various lists before we yeah, talk Yeah, I'm actually... I apologize, guys. I was thinking of, of Brad Nelson's list that he ran for the player of the year. That was the most recent version of Cogro that I'd seen and that he was running it that way. And I'm a little mixed up, but we should um, uh, we should run through a list. Uh, if somebody can bring it up real quick. Uh, sure, Max. Do you want to go through these? 
Okay, so let's go through Ben Stark's list, which was the list that won the Pro Tour. So, therefore, sure. probably worthy of note, and is going to see infinite play online and at FNMs for the next forever. Right. Um, okay, so for creatures, he just has four of Squadron Hawk and four of Stoneforge Mystic, which I found interesting because that is a card that has not seen much four of play in its lifespan. But there were 22 um, copies in the top eight. Right, no, card cards. In, and then uh, other spells, he has four Day of Judgment, one Deprive, three Gideon Jura, four of that Jace card, um, the Mind Sculptor, three Mana Leak, four Preordain, four Spell Pierce, one Rebuttal, and then his two equipment spells, one Sword of Feast and Famine, and one Silbach Lifestaff. I love the four Spell Pierce main deck. That is, it's, it seems so insane right now. It's so good, and it's also, I think, it's an extremely good call because you're going to have a lot of people who want to try out decks that are going to be running Tezzeret, decks that are going to be running Chalice, decks that are going to be running, um, obviously, lots of Jaces, and it's, uh, you know, I was talking to someone about it quite a while ago, and the difference between Spell Pierce and Negate, but that one mana is huge. Right, well, it lets you on turn three play a squad, a second squadron hawk or a stoneforge mystic, or use your stoneforge mystic's ability to sneak a sword onto the battlefield without having to let your opponent do whatever they want to you. Exactly, and also a deck like this, you know, you there's sometimes where you want to swing with your colonnade. You still have one up to to use it. There's times when you're in a counter war and you just you know it, it does the mana start does does uh, get to start. The mana starts to get used up. Excuse me. That's uh, and it's totally relevant. Then I mean, it's it's. I think it's much better than the gate right now. And uh, it's, oh, definitely. Yeah, and it's and it's great. In, yeah. it's it's great in this deck, but it's also uh, good in a couple of the other. Uh, I think it'd be right. good in some of the other blue decks that we're looking at. Although I don't know if all of them are running four ofs. Uh, but Greg, what are you gonna say? Um, I was I wasn't going to make any particular comment about this list. I, I'm actually right now looking at uh, Chapin's list, which I think is um, not as note, not necessarily as noteworthy from the impact that's going to have uh, on the on the metagame. But I do think that it's interesting because it's it's a Tezzeret list first of all, um, which I think is no, is worth some some uh, some conversation. This list is the same list that um, Guillaume Matignon played against uh, Brad Nelson in the Player of the Year race. And uh, I think Chapin was X1 after day one, and Guillaume was um, was was undefeated after the standard portion, and then I think that he he, he didn't do so well in the, in the drafting portion. Chapin ends up going on to top aiding the the Pro Tour, and Guillaume does yeah. not. Um, but I'll run through that list real quick, just so people are on the same page, because it has a big impact on the value of Tezzeret. Financially, this list has has really made a splash. So, uh, creatures you only have two: um, tr- uh, Treasure Mage and Wormcoil Engine. Um, Treasure Mage gets your Wormcoil Engine or the other six-drop artifact in the deck, which is a Mind Slaver. Um, Love that. So, um, first and foremost, the, the purpose of the of Wormcoil is good against aggro decks. Mind Slaver is really good against control decks. The rest of the list: uh, four Everflowing Chalice. Uh, two Galvanic Blast, three Jace the Mind Sculptor, um, two Mox Opal, four Preordain, four Prophetic Prism, two Pyroclasm, two Slagstorm, three Sphere of the Suns, two Stork Rebuttal, four Tezzeret, um, new Tezzeret, three t- Tel Magnets. Um, and then of the lands, 
um, noteworthy are two ink moth nexuses. So you've got um, your red is is a, a robust suite of removal, um, sweep, both um, two sweepers and the slag storm, which can be sweepers for for three butts. But also you can use the player mode and kill um, Jace. Uh, Jace basically. Um, so anyway, it's it's basically um, protect your Tezzeret and win through a bunch of crazy five five dudes. Um, and I really well, like this list enough. Or I actually played standard this last Friday um, with this list. <laughs> How'd you do? Um, I I hadn't I didn't I, I got the cards right like as we were shuffling up for the first round and was still sleeping, so I didn't play it before the first round, and I I played fairly slowly, and as a result, I like drew in the first two rounds, and then I won a game. But uh, I then I then dropped because I wanted to go and, and draft. It's like okay, I got my feel for this deck. Um, it was fun, which is what I wanted out of it. But uh, yeah, I I need I, I would need to actually play test with it if I were to were to try. And I, and I wasn't I wasn't really concerned. It was it's an F and M. If you're going an F and M, you're you're going for some narcissistic reason or because you want to have fun, not because you're there to like try and get rating or something. So um, I had fun, which was the which was the goal. Well, it's a cool deck. It has uh, a couple interesting things of note. Uh, one of the most interesting things, um, like you said, is the Inkmoth Nexus, which I don't know if it's Nexuses or Nexi, but two of them, whatever that's pronounced as, which can become five fives, obviously, with Tesseret, as Jared pointed out um, when we're doing our spoiler episode. Uh, and they also sometimes in a pitch just need to block to let your uh, Jace or to let your Tezzeret survive a turn longer or whatever. You know, they have a couple pretty interesting uh, applications. And plus, sometimes they just need to get over and, and kill their Planeswalkers, and the evasion is super helpful. Um, so they, they occupy an interesting space, although I find them very interesting because they fit into the... It seems like they wouldn't fit because there's so much color-specific at first glance of this deck, but actually... Four prophetic prisons, three sphere of the suns makes all your color problems go away. Exactly, yep. exactly. Which I was gonna say is is awesome for opening up, you know, that type of strategy. It almost reminds me of. I mean, it it just lets you get really greedy with with it, and you can do a lot of stuff. Um, and another uh, another thing that's really interesting about this deck is the sideboard. There's one called Alpha Rebirth in the sideboard. Uh, and everyone should know what that does because it's deck-based around it, but just in case you don't, one red for sorcery as an additional cost uh, to casting it, sacrifice an artifact, and put three red red or three one one red goblin tokens onto the battlefield. Um, now, does anyone who hasn't heard the coverage or the interview know why that's in there? Um. Well, actually, I heard the coverage. So. Okay, Max. Same. I have. I did. I did not hear that. Um, okay. Do you want to take a guess as to why it is? Okay, well, the reason for it is... <laughs> no, just kidding, go ahead. Any ideas? Uh, I mean, the only two ideas are the pretty obvious ones, which is, and it, it's only going to be one of these two, is either one of the matchups you basically want to put a lot of bodies on the board to get pressure on planeswalkers or control players, or it's just for chum blockers. Well, it's kind of both, but the really tech part of it is something that when I say it, you're going to hit yourself in the head and be like, of course... But I didn't get it until I heard it either. And that's, against this deck, one of the key um, cards that uh, those decks are going to sideboard in is 
Jinx title. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's really awesome. Yeah. So props to uh, Pat Chapin or whoever else um, came up with that because that's that's really great. Um, so okay, so we have that. Uh, Jared, is there a deck that you would like to read off from this list? Um, I really like that quest list, but I didn't watch any games of it. Okay. Do you want to read the quest list for our listeners? Yeah, one sec. Okay, while you're doing that, I'm going to read, uh, I'll read my favorite list, um, from here. Uh, let me see here. Let me just pull it up. I just had it. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is the Boros one. Um, it's, uh, Paul Rietzel's Boros deck, which he got second with. Um, the creatures are four Goblin Guide, two Hero of Oxid Ridge, two Mirren Crusader, four Plated Geopede, one Spike Shot Elder, four Squadron Hawk, four Steplinks, three Stoneforge Mystic. It's also running two Adventuring Gears, two Journey to Nowhere's, one Koth, three Lightning Bolts, one Sword of Body and Mind, and one Sword of Feast and Famine. And, uh, just awesome. This deck, I think, uh, you know, got some interesting tools with Mirren Crusader in the new set. Um, protection from black and green is super relevant, obviously. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a great deck. Uh, and Max, I know you're a huge fan of, of Boros. Uh, love Boros. Yeah. I also, I love Rose of Oxid Ridge in this deck. They're just so good in the Grimmata game. How come? Because they're basically... Uh, six or so power hasty guy that stops your opponent's team from blocking, which seems pretty solid. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's, there's just so many like squadron hawks floating around the metagame right now where they're just going to, against the aggro deck, play, get a bunch of chump blockers and, you know, slow you down and then get control of their game with their big bomb and then you just drop this guy. It increases your damage by a bunch and stops them from blocking and they're just like, I used to have some life. Okay, and uh, Jarrett, um, let's move on to your deck. Uh, the creatures are four Fauna Shaman, four Glinthawk, one Core Outfitter, four Core Skyfisher, four Mennonite, four Ornithopter, four Squadron Hawk, one Stoneforge Mystic, and four Vengevine. And the equipment package for him, and, and Quest, obviously, is uh, two Argenum Armor and one Sword of Body and Mind. Who's this? Nico Boni. Yeah, it seems awesome. What a great way to make the quest deck have some staying power and have some late game and mid range because this deck was. What's that? Yeah, and crazy nut draws. Yeah, yeah. It, it still allows for the nut draws, but. Um, like, oh, I searched I search for too many squadron hawks. Let me just discard these Venge Vines. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, having access to the Venge Vine Fauna Shaman package is huge, but also having access to. The first turn quest, second turn you know Memnite, Memnite, Glint Hawk Idol or Glint Hawk, you know Memnite. Next turn Core Skyfish or whatever is pretty sweet too. Um, so yeah, the deck, uh, the deck is great, I, and I also yeah, go ahead. Also, Skyfisher definitely gives you an advantage vine if you want it. So you can just Skyfisher, return your Skyfisher, Skyfisher, return your Skyfisher, and you just can buy back your Vengevines for as much as you need it. Right, right. That's pretty crazy. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, interesting, too, in the sideboard, there are four of the Leonin Arbiters. The two casting costs two, two, that players can't search libraries uh, unless they pay two colorless. That's pretty interesting. Seems good against Valakut. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And, also, uh, I guess. There's, yeah, exactly. And there's one other deck I want to bring up on here. Um, before and then there's on. one other deck for the top eight? Yeah, and then, then uh, we'll go on. But um, that's uh, Shintaro Ishimura's uh, blue-white control deck, yeah. which is a really interesting take on this deck because it's running four Student of Warfares and three Mirren Crusaders along with the four Stoneforge Mystics. No uh, Squadron Hawks. No main deck. Right, four no in the board. Deck. Uh, four in the board. And, uh, yeah, this deck just seems really, really interesting. It's a great uh, kind of tempo deck because you got your four ousts, your three spell pierces, um, you have two sort of body and minds and one sort of feast and famine, which is interesting because I would think that the sort of feast and famine would be, because this type of deck, it seems like you're tapping out a lot and you want to have your mana untapped for counter spells, but, uh, yeah, it's, we, this, the, it's a weird list. Yeah, this is really interesting. So to go over it quickly, the, the rest of the spells are four Jace. The Mind Sculptors, two Journey Nowheres, four Mana Leaks, four Ousts, four Preordains, three Spell Pierces, two Sort of Body Minds, one Sort of Feast and Famine, and this will be on our show notes, so uh, you guys can check it out there. Um, but yeah, some really interesting, innovative decks as these uh, tend to bring out, um, really very different and very interesting takes on blue-white control. Um, so... Yeah, anything else, or are we ready to move on from there? I think I'm good to move on. Okay. Uh, Greg, what do we got up next? So, um, I just thought that the, if we could quick, well, first of all, all right, the, the top eight, top eight um, group of players is pretty, pretty classy, so I want to go through it real quick. Um, Noki uh, Nakata, uh, Kentaro, actually, one second, um, I'm going through the I'm going through the 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 top standard lists. Alright, that wasn't actually necessarily Alright, here we go. One one more time. Top eight. Vincent Lamone and Shitari Isimaharu. Uh Lamone wins. Um Patrick Chapin versus Paul Rizzo. Uh right uh Rizzo beats Chapin uh, and then goes on to beat Lamone. Uh Nico Boni plays uh, Noki Nakata. Nakata then goes on to win. And Ben Stark plays Tom Martell. Uh, ben Stark then goes on to beat Martell, then Nakata, and in the finals beats um, uh, Ritzel. So uh, um, a lot of real well-known names, and uh, pretty crazy that Ben, ben Stark actually kind of smashed. I mean, he, he got... Tom Martell brought him to, to, to five games, but his other two opponents um, just kind of beat. So, pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was all that I really wanted to talk about. Did anybody have any interest, interesting remarks regarding the, the top eight? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. There's a really high quality there. Um, and uh, 
it's cool to see it's it's cool to see Patrick Chapin uh, finally make a, a big splash in an event. It's been a while since we've heard from him on the tournament scene, although he's obviously been around a lot. And just to uh, allude to a previous episode, on our last episode we talked a little bit about the A-Team's uh, kind of... One of their episodes, I can't remember which one, there are two of them. One where they like talked a lot of smack about Steve Porter, Legion events or something, because there was a... It, was, it sounded just like more of a big misunderstanding than anything else. And, you know, our friends of the A-Team, we've had KYT on the show. I did finally listen to that episode. I found it, and uh, I think actually Jared sent it to me. I sent me which one it was. And I listened to that, and then I listened to the follow-up where they basically apologized, and, you know, it was a big misunderstanding. But in that process, I heard Chapin on there, and it is phenomenal. Uh, and he makes a very good case why we should put more kind of positive energy into the magic community instead of negative energy and why we should support our local stores and other people are trying to do interesting and innovative things with magic and all that stuff so it's kind of confrontational it gets a little heated but great episode and he gives like one of those al pacino speeches so it's pretty pretty good to listen to nonetheless um there's now some more talk of him getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I guess he's becoming eligible now, and you know there's a certain amount of time that's to pass. Da da da. da. Um, well, he was eligible. He was eligible this year as well. It's just that he didn't. He hasn't put up enough of the the numbers. And this is the type of thing. A, a pro tour top eight is one of those things that that really helps your numbers. Um, the conversation from from what I've seen so far on on, on Twitter is that the, the common thought is that he probably needs another PT top 8 or top 16 to, to really get the, um, have a, a strong enough playing uh, part of his resume to counteract the really positive um, non-playing portion of his, uh, his resume. Wait, wh- why do you use the word counteract there? I, I don't mean counteract, to um, <laughs> supplement. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The wrong. Well, I think I think Thank yeah, it's it's obvious that Chapin's his numbers are not the highest, and compared to some people who are in the Hall of Fame now, uh, it looks like he you know his his points aren't up there. But you know he's really gotten himself out there, making a name for himself with all the podcasting he does, um, the books that he's put out, you know, and he's made himself very accessible. And he's had a little bit of a rocky, you know, some issues as everyone has, uh, but. <laughs> Well, except for Max, uh, who... Rocking the euphemisms there. What's that? Rocking the euphemisms there, Jonathan. No, not rocking any euphemisms. We've all had our you know, issues with everything, and you know, it's in, and no one's any exception. But uh, sometimes that can really... Ha- I mean, that can you can continue down that path and make a more positive life for yourself, and it's obvious that... Uh, Chapin has done really well um, as an ambassador ambassador for the game, I mean, and also, um, you know, just uh, on his own right, you know, he's he's continued to give some solid performances, although this is obviously much better than we've seen from him in a while, uh, which is great. So it's going to be interesting to see this next year's uh, vote. And you're right, I I misspoke before, Greg, but... Uh, he was eligible, but he'll be eligible again, and we'll see how much support he gets now. And I think a lot of his extracurricular activities are going to add to that, but now he's got some more you know, bona fides to, to put up there. Um, 
And uh, and so I think that's that's the other interesting side to this is his appearance in the top eight. And actually, he beat Owen to get there in the last round of day one. Uh, they played against each other. So yeah, yeah. If it was the second, the second to last round, um, they, well, if, they if played. They get it, it was, they it was draw, win right. and draw in. Right. So that's what I mean by the last round. And uh, it's it's kind of yeah. It's two Milwaukee guys end up in Paris. So it's kind of funny. Um, anyway. So, shall we talk about Player of the Year? Is there any other Pro Tour Paris stuff we want to go over? Player of the Year? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously we have, uh, we, we have that um, settled now. And before we get into that, I just want to say how awesome it broke down, right? Like, having it go the way it went, having them decide to do... And and what a weird you know set of circumstances to get to this point, but this was as good as it could have gone, right? Yeah, it was phenomenal. And, definitely, and two great players too, um, and and great Magic personalities. But it definitely should have been Brad Nelson, like hands down. I mean, his performance this year has been redonkulous. Uh, he's just been a great, also great ambassador for the game. Uh, from all accounts, really nice, easygoing guy, and uh, yeah. Great, great job. Good that America can bring it home. And his family got to come out there and support him, and it was a big deal for them. So that's awesome. But let's uh, let's go over, first of all, the format for anyone that might not know, and then we'll go over the decks. Jarrett? Um, it was game one and two were standard, right? And then mm-hmm. uh, three, three and four were sealed with their three, pools four, from... Five. Oh, four and five. Or three, four and five. No, it was it was this weird thing I think they call it a super sealed. Yeah, so super sealed. You basically had twelve paths to make a sealed deck, I think. So yeah, the whole the whole uh, format was. I mean, the whole the whole lead up to it, everything was just great. They had their little team, you know, Brad team uh, Guillaume uh, stickers that they wore each other's of. Uh, you know, it was a great way to build it up. Kind of a great story for uh, for people who really follow it and. Another thing that Brad was saying was that he had players from all over his region like going into the stores and watching it live, which was what two in the morning or three in the morning or something. When, yep. when was the player of the year? Uh, Greg, you watch that, right? I I I came in after the after draft on Friday. I came in and we were in the third game, and it was after two a.m. my time in Central Time. Okay. So. So yeah, I'm I'm guessing it probably started at um at like one thirty or two. Um, so that's that's central. pretty cool of his local community to step up like that for him. That's that's pretty sweet. Um, and I believe he's out of North Dakota, right? I think he's out of North Dakota. So that's pretty cool. Shout out to them. Um, and yeah, Brad Nelson took it home with his awesome deck. Someone want to go over the deck list right quick? His cargo. Four Squadron Hawk, four Stoneforge, four Day of Judgment, one Deprived, three Gideon, four Jace, two Mana Leak, four, four Preordained, four Spell Priest, two Stoic Rebuttal, um, Sword of Feast and Famine, one Lifestack, Lifestack, Silvac Lifestaff, wow. Um, and then the sideboard has one Baneslayer, one Deprived, two Divine Offering, one Elspeth, uh, two Flash Freeze, four Oust, three Ratchet Bomb, and one Sword of Body and Mind. And then 
Lance. Yeah, uh, noteworthy in Lance for Technology Edge. Yeah, a little bit different, but uh, they all ran a very similar shell, and that's awesome. And then he played against Guillaume Matignon, who had, uh, I think, card for card, pretty much the same list of Chapins. There might be one different card yeah, in the There's a difference in, in the sideboard um, Argenum. Yeah, there's an Argenum Sphinx in the sideboard of Matignon's list versus the fourth Chase in. Um, Chapin's list. Okay, so uh, so that's pretty sweet, and they're really interesting games. I highly recommend checking them out if you haven't. Uh, and as we said, Brad Nelson took it down to bring the trophy to America, which is great. Um, but they both played really well, and, and congratulations to both of them. A great year, uh, and great year for Magic. Um, let's move on to Grand Prix Paris. So, we had a Grand Prix. How did that go? A lot of people. Uh, like, I think around 2,200. 2,200? Holy 2200. mackerel. Um, yeah, I understand. Uh, 2,182 players started the tournament on Saturday morning. Wow. One of which was Paul Rietzel. <laughs> yeah, who made top 24 while also making the finals of the Pro Tour, which I think is, which is kind of... Yeah, with match losses for tardiness, because he was in a Pro Tour top 8 match. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so that's the funny thing is that... that they were they were saying anybody that made top eight of the GP or excuse me of the Pro Tour was basically only going to be allowed to play day one because the, because everything was going to happen concurrently and Paul said well I can do both um, does well enough in the first day where he can take the losses through um, the early portion of day two and still manage the top twenty four that's that's sick phenomenal. That's just sick. That is insane. And also making the finals and X, I think X wanting not coming to match losses, despite the fact that he does, basically gets no time off for the pro, at all because he's you know playing high stakes magic during his break from playing high stakes magic. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty it's, sweet. Yeah, that that's just insane. Yeah, is there is there anything uh, about the pro tour besides the huge turnout that we want to go over? Any cool uh, cards we saw utilized? I don't know. I mean, I, the one thing, not, not, I don't really, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the, to the GP, other than the fact that uh, Kai Boudet, um, like, exoed day one, and then uh, he like started O two in his draft and was was in the pro in the in the process of maybe um, getting, you know, kicking himself out of top eight contention because of the qu- massive quantity of people. But then he went on to um, uh, one. To, to, to I think like win out from there and and just make top eight, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But I mean, other than other than other than Kai making top eight and I think the sixth spot, I didn't recognize any of the names of the other people: Dimitri Davios, David Sharfman, Gerald Leitzinger. Um, ooh, yeah, I'm not gonna butcher that name. Uh, well, we'll try. Sivinu Borjendu. Yeah, I fail. Uh, Christian. <laughs> Hootenberg, Louis McLeod, um, McLeod, uh, William Lowry, and Kai Boudet. And uh, Lowry beats Boudet in the first round, so then the rest of them. <laughs> David Sharfman, actually, uh, who, who won, is actually from, I think, Texas. He's definitely uh, U.S. born. Yeah, um, so that's pretty awesome. Well, Florida, excuse me. Okay, so America really took home. And, and well, Florida got two then, because... Uh, um, Ben Stark is also from Florida. So yeah, that's pretty sweet. Um, 
I'm quickly going to go over David Sharfman's deck because it's it's pretty interesting. It's a blue green deck, which I don't see a ton of in my drafts. Um, it's got 18 lands, nine forests, nine islands, two bellowing tangleworm, one blight mamba, two glisses couriers, one lifesmith, one molder beast, one perilous mirror, two sky eel schools, one telgelod fallen, one thopter assembly, one vidian corruptor. Uh, one Disperse, one Horizon Spellbomb, one Mirren Metal, two Quicksilver Geyser, one Strandwalker, one Untamed Might, and two Volition Reigns. Okay, aside from the Volition Reigns and the Thopter Assembly, which admittedly are phenomenal, there's a lot of underwhelming cards in this deck for Grand Prix victory, it seems like, right? Like, one Random Blight Mamba, which I guess with uh, Untamed Might, I mean, Blight Mamba's fine, um... But it's like usually with that Natalgelod Fallen, I don't know. You you know, you don't want to split your infect and damage. Um it's got you know, two Glisses couriers, which are I think subpar. I mean I guess three toughness is relevant in this format, but seems subpar compared to So one thing that I think is maybe being overlooked that I think is incredibly relevant to the synergies of the deck is Bellowing Tangleworm. He has two of them. Um, Bellowing Tangleworm can make a single Teljahad Fallen really sick um, in, in a lot of matchups, and it can. What was what were you gonna say? Yeah, well, because right, because only green creatures can then block them. Yeah, right. But in there's only one Teljahad, but not them. Fallen. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that that the, the random splash of like the Teljahad Fallen. It's not the it's not the the core of the list, but because of the double tangle worm, having a tell jihad the fallen or fallen is actually really, really good as opposed to being a random infect card that's really like a, a waste of space. It makes that waste of space actually um, a need to deal with um, wind connection. Um, so, but I would also say, I mean, the infect guys are perfectly fine, in fact, phenomenal in the deck at playing defense which is sometimes what you need to do when you're playing two confiscates and a ridiculous six-powered flying monster. Or five-powered flying monster. Or ten, after time. But, yeah, I mean... Right. Yeah, it seems like it's got some nice defensive stuff. I guess the Courier's a good fed Lifesmith. I mean, it's a fine deck. It's got some cool synergies. Obviously, Brilliant Corruptor is amazing. Also, Skyo School's really good at, you know making you discard that random infectu that you don't want to play because you're trying to kill him with damage. Right. Although it's got well it's got eighteen lands and a horizon spell bomb, but no mirrors to ramp you up, so it seems like kind of you need to play better defense to not play your six drops, I think. Right. I look at some of the other decks here and Yeah, it's know. definitely it's definitely interesting. The the geysers I really like uh Quicksilver Geyser. He also has two of those. Right. Um Yeah, I mean I think that this deck just seems like it, it looks better the further into the, the draft he goes. Um, so the better his opponent's deck is, the the more that he can punish them for playing good cards by with his double volition reigns or with the geyser just to make all their stuff even more expensive. Um, I actually I think this deck is 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 pretty sick. Um, it's I mean, weird, but it's synergistic. I mean, also I mean volition range is just phenomenal. Yeah. It, yeah, of course, Volition Reigns is, is great. We shouldn't overlook Str- that. Strandwalker is also 
um, arguably the the best living weapon um, that is at the common or uncommon level. Uh, so plus two, plus four, and reach one. Right. Uh, it's expensive equip cost, but it's I mean, right. given that yeah. kind of defense to one of your like to your singleton blight mamba, for example, is pretty nutty. Right, because even if it wasn't a living weapon, I mean, I can, I'll pay four mana for a giant spider all day, and one more to get a good piece of equipment is still good. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, yeah, and, and there are some interesting synergies in the deck. Um, I just, I just sometimes, you know, if I'm thinking a deck that's going to win, you know, a pro tour, I'm thinking it's going to kind of, you know, it's, it's going to be overwhelming. This is not an overwhelming deck, but it seems like a lot of good synergies. Um, the, the double glisses were the courier. I mean, having two main deck mountain walk guys when you when you drafted like no red cards. If you look at his sideboard, he, he he just got like no red cards, which means that they're obviously somewhere else. If he, if he just gets an opponent that plays a mountain turn one, he's he's got such a distinct advantage, and that's the type of thing that though it might not be obvious, is is how you can get there. I mean, you need to have a little luck too. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, so it's a pretty cool deck. Um, it's kind of uh, it's pretty straightforward, um, and yeah, good 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 on him to get there. The other cool deck was I think Christian Huttenberg's deck. I don't know if that's how you say his last name, but it's a black white deck with a couple bombs and Dominable Angel, as well as uh, Argentum Armor, and which is it's kind of a bomb. And some good, some solid removal with a uh, go for the throat and still infection. But yeah, it just seems. I guess the other thing to consider is that in this format, it's it's much harder because obviously you're drafting with the best of the best, and so every you're gonna have to kind of suck as much advantage and as much strength out of every single card in your deck, and force as much synergy and and kind of uh, work with it as much as possible, um, and. Right quick before we move on, how have you guys found the new draft format, drafting uh, BSS now? Well, I'll go. I mean, I'm, I'm having an absolute blast. Like, it's it's rejuvenated um, the the vast majority of my opponents, and I actually I actually still liked um, Scars before, but I feed a lot off of the energy of the other other people and kind of like just take it to another level. So when other people are enjoying the format, if I'm having a good time, I'm having a great time, and. This format has definitely done that. It's it's more exciting. Infect is not as like extraordinarily powerful as a lot of people thought it was going to be, but it's still good, and more people play it. Um, I don't know, I'm having having an absolute blast seeing some of the new synergies that are that are coming out. Well, like what uh, synergies uh, have you seen? So, I'll give you a, a random example. Um, so, dinosaurs before was was a Rare, good deck, just because it kind of um, was was bigger than everything else. Every every other deck, I guess, could be. Well, now you've got um, you've got even more um, like tangle the tangle manis three four uh, trampler that costs four green green two. That card is really good. Um, it wears equipment extremely well, etc. So if you just play like. Um, non-infect green guys, you're going to get a bunch of stuff laughing to you that isn't going to get picked up by other people, and 
in packs two and three, you've got some some really good cards that are going to be coming, like Molder Beast and and stuff like that. And it's just it's it's a deck that before was kind of cute and random, and now you can actually um, you can actually just take it early and have a very solid deck that splashes for um, living weapons or um, the blue removal or some black removal or some red removal, and it's it's actually a very solid, robust archetype. Whereas before it was a it was a it was a very rare borderline archetype. Uh, I think it's just more solid now. Um, that's an ex- that's an example. I mean, I don't know. There's 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 a, there's a lot blue. I think is is very interesting. You've got it's it's almost overpowered in how good and robust blue is in terms of the different options, the different ways you can go and. Um, blue was 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 fairly underpowered before. You could get blue to work, but mainly you could get blue to work because a lot of the people at your table weren't drafting it because it was underpowered. So you get Skyo schools going really late. Now you can you can get all of that gravy out of blue if you go blue early and you get really strong cards out of the siege. Or other people are going to go blue or green um, and and infect and, and and try and get infect early. So you've got white and red that lingers in packs two and three, all these really crazy strong cards that you would never see late before are now, you know, considerably later picks because people are taking the the green and blue green, blue and black cards that are, are of a higher um, higher pick order because of, of their commitment early. Yep, and I think uh I think that's that's true, and I, I really like having the the new pack first. I think that's really um, it makes it feel a lot newer. Even though afterwards you see the old cards, it really puts you into some new strategies. Um, and there's also a much more it feels much more balanced to me now. Uh, obviously, it feels like there's a better balance between artifact and artifact destruction, and uh, you know the kind of synergies and interesting dynamics you can play with. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm really happy with, uh, with drafting now. Um, we had two awesome drafts yesterday, uh, and one of the decks, I had a deck with the, um, I had five mana mirrors. I had the four one that you can sacrifice an artifact to regenerate it. I had three of those. Um, some of the, the two casting cost draw card and the seven casting cost when it comes into play, destroy target permanent. Uh, if it leaves, if it's put into the graveyard, put it back. And I had two of the mages to search it up. Um, so very kind of synergistic. A lot of interesting things at play with that deck, and it was super fun. And I feel like now the creativity has really opened up, and you can you can do some cool stuff that you weren't able to before. So yay, new sets are new, and that's always fun. Um, so anyway, uh, let's see. Any other thoughts on BSS drafting? Jared, have you got to draft this set at all? Uh, yeah, I did a two at a giant draft, uh, like two days ago. Uh, we went in fact, obviously. Like, one deck was in fact, the other was removal, and it was insane. Like, in two at a giant, when you die at ten, that's just really not fair. Oh, yeah, that is totally sick. Wow. Yeah, and then... I did another one, and with that guy you were talking about, Rusted Slasher, uh, that guy is definitely the best sacrifice outlet with Furnace Celebration. Like, I, I uncapped, oh, yeah. and they just died. 
<laughs> That's awesome. How many furnace celebrations did you have? Two. That's awesome. Did you have any of the uh, wellsprings to draw? Uh, no. That's so good with Barrage Ogre, too, though. Oh, yeah, it is. And Throne of Death. Like, I, I definitely agree with Chapin about that card. Like, that's a high, a high pick. Which yeah. card? Baker Wellspring. It's, 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 it's solid. I, I'm not going to pick it real high because I think I'm a little greedy. I think I'm going to get it in the mid-tier, and I don't want to have too many of them. But I do like it. There's, Wait, why there's so many want, combos now. Why wouldn't you want too many of them? Um, because I want I, I want I want to have a little bit more on enablers. Like, okay, so if I actually legitimately think that it's not going to be drafted, um, in in the two through four spot, which is where I think that it probably should be. Um, and I think I, can, I think you can get grittier and say maybe four to to seven spot if I can get him there. Then I really want to get him there because that means that I can get other high quality picks in that two to four spot and then get them. In the, the five to, to, to the four to seven okay, spot, gotcha. when it's still a two to four. So you're not pick. saying you're not saying that you don't want too many of them in your deck. Correct. You're saying instead that you think that you can get them later and therefore don't have to pick them up too early. Correct. I'm greedy on the the number of two of of you know I want to, the the most high picks I can possibly have you know, in terms of density in a deck, and I think that having nice solid playables that you're picking in that middle 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 tier is is good. Um, so yeah, I think I think that the card's really good. I think there's a lot of different blink effects and sack sack outlets and to take things out of your graveyard and put them back into your hand and all that kind of stuff. It's really quite fun. Absolutely. Um, so Max, have you got to draft this at all? I've hardly gotten to draft at all, just because it's not a Magic Online yet, and I basically haven't been able to go out and draft. So I'm waiting for it to get on Moto so I can battle some. And that comes out when is that really? Right? What? Yeah, that's tomorrow when it comes out? I think so. Ooh. Okay. Well, uh, we're getting to the end of the show. Let's quickly go over the event decks, and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, and, uh, Greg, do you want to go over those event decks right quick? Sure. Okay. So, first of all, um, Star City Games has just released... Um, I mean, I guess I didn't see anything on the Wizards site, so I mean, I imagine it was released from from Wizards. But I know that Star City Games now has for pre-order the Mirrodin Besieged uh, event decks. There's two of them. One's called um, Infect and Defile, which is um, it's gonna it's twenty bucks, and it's got four Corpse Cur, four Necropede, four Frexian Vatmother, four Pilgrimir. Excuse me, Only two Frexian Vatmother, um, two Consuming Vapors, two Contagion Class. Four corrupted conscious, um, two deprive, one doomblade, four foresee, one hand of the praetors, two mana leak, three preordain, two smother, and then the land base is ten islands, seven swamps, uh, two drawn catacomb, and four uh, dwar isle refuge. And the sideboard sideboard that they're also giving you is three death mark, one doomblade, three flash freeze, two go for the throat, four negate, and two smother. Um, so what do you guys think about this deck? I don't like it. I mean, it just seems kind of beyond, below the curve in a number of ways, in a kind of a blue control deck in this format that's missing certain cards that are five times the price of the event deck that are kind of good, 
And, and it's way too slow. And it's so slow, and it's playing four main deck corpses current constructed. And the removal just seeds off. Seems like it seems like they're just kind of trying to shove in. Oh, so this is a F and M deck, right? So that means there's gonna be a bunch of creatures. So let's put a bunch of creature removal. Oh, and there might be non-creature decks. So let's put some melee. Like yeah, let's put some some disruption in. Oh, we need a win condition. All right, so let's put some creatures in. Uh, also, who's right? Okay, cool. Next. Like that's that's my that's my impression. I don't know. It just seems also three fear names seems like the wrongest number in the history of numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because uh, card is completely amazing and it's like a common, so just put four of them in, guys. Yeah, it's there are a couple of interesting choices in the stack. I mean. It's kind of a cool idea. Like, Actually, it's not a cool idea. I have to say, I don't like this at all, and I'll tell you why. While I do like the idea of making F&Ms and Standard more accessible to anyone, and I think it's it's cool that they want to prepackage this or whatever, I don't know. Get it like, you know, they have a R&D department, they do what they do, they're going to get people to play Magic, that's great, but... I don't like the idea. It's 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 almost like stifling to me because you want to have as much creativity in Magic as possible well as part of the draw to it. So I want to go back to the days when I would brew up my own decks. I wouldn't have to net deck everything. I wouldn't have to look for all that. I would go with my friends, play test, and brew something up. But on the other hand, this case is like, well, you know, we're gonna set this up for you, and you can make a couple changes here and there. But here's the shell of the deck that you're gonna play, and it's like, I actually. I disagree, John. Okay, let's I hear think it, Max. That, I, I think there is something to be said for them having a product that you can just buy that's a ready-made competitive deck that you can play in FNM or a small fan tournament or whatever, so that if you are just getting back into Magic, if you've been away for a set or two, or if you are just coming and you thought it was going to be drafted or not to be constructed, you can still play Magic. My problem is that this is not a competitive deck. This is um, in four main deck corpse cards. But even even and, for even for a deck like that, I mean, I, I agree if you're just coming back into Magic. But let's look at it from the other side and say you're, which is probably who they're marketing to. You're a new player who wants to get into it and picks this up. Do you? Still I'm think okay that? with that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with Max that I actually really like this um, fundamentally, like the idea, which is why I kind of want to move into the next deck because I think that it's much more representative of what they're trying to do. Um, I think that they actually. They, they, they do a fairly successful job with this other deck, whereas I'm actually really unimpressed with the deck that we just went through. Um, and, okay, and let's, let's, move to the, let's move on to the next deck then. Go for it. Um, so, okay, so uh, this this deck, which costs $5 more, um, it's it's $25, twenty-four ninety-nine. Though, though we, should, we should note that not, this is not the MSRP, this is how much Star City is charging for them. Correct. Correct. So I imagine it's probably not... Uh, 20 bucks is MSRP, I imagine. Um, so, alright, so this one has two Goblin Bushwhacker, two Goblin Guides, four Goblin War Driver, one Iron Mirror, four Memnite, four Ornithopter, four Signal Pest, one Spike Shot Elder, uh, two Darksteel Axe, two Devastating Summons, two Galvanic Blast, four Kuldaltha Rebirth, Rebirth, four Lightning Bolt, two Panic Spellbomb, 21 Mountain, in one contested war zone. The sideboard is two uh, active treason, four goblin rune blaster, two into the core, 
one ley line of punishment, four searing blades, and two unstable footing. Um, okay, before we talk about the deck, can we just talk about that one Iron Mirror? I just, like, I actually like the deck a lot, but that card is just phenomenal because I believe there is no card in the deck that costs more than two mana. One's all you need. So you just gotta run that one Iron Mirror, I guess. Just run it out there. Called out the Rebirth. Right, so it'll be like, oh bad, he's probably gonna rock, wrap to a cop. Better kill that iron here. <laughs> Seems like yeah. a reasonable strategy. <laughs> hey, here's something that, that didn't swing in at you and is only a 1 1. You really need to kill this rather than the, go- the, uh, the Goblin the Guide one. or the Spike Shot Elder or the Devastating Summon Token or. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying it. Then you, then you, your opponent will assume that you're playing the Iron Mirror for a reason, and they'll misplay because of it. Next level. But anyway, I, I actually really, I actually really like this deck. Um, it's it's real cheap. It's definitely a deck. You know, F and M on the cheap, which is what you want. Um, it's synergistic. It's very synergistic. I actually, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak enough about how I think that for what their what their goal. Which, in my opinion, is to yes, give something that's off the the shelf, playable for an FNM. I think that this meets that need. I think that it's good for introductory players that don't have the that can't look at a that look at a five or six hundred dollar list and say, this is not something that I can feasibly do. But I think I, I think that that's come I think up that, with the funds to to this game. I think that's fine, and I think that this will be semi maybe competitive with some tweaking at an F and M. This one much more so than the last one, but I still like the idea of players making their own deck from the get go, and they could make they can if they want to. What's that? They can if they want to. Sure, sure. That's like. People shouldn't be allowed to access the internet because they're a deckless. It's more like saying you can give your kids, you know, those toys that have. Everything already made, you know, like the the dolls that have all the, you know, storyline behind them and are already like pre-made and da da da. Or you can give them like Legos and they can make their own little city out of it. That's how I view it. And I think that this is just kind of, I, I don't know. I just feel uh, like I, it, I think it, I think it breeds more like laziness and less innovation in the mentality and more people that are just going to copy in that deck. Innovation amongst the I think they exactly would be able to even start. We even need to start the conversation oh, with a lot of the people that this caters to. That building is really, really hard. Yeah, like, like I, I think the hive mind net decking thing does a lot for innovation, actually. But I also just think, like, if someone wants to be able to play in a tournament without having to either acquire all the deck cards from the deck list online or come up with their own deck, I think that that's not something we should shun just because of some ideal of innovation. I mean, if someone wants to be good, they clearly are going to need something that isn't one of these pre-made decks. <laughs> but if someone just wants to play in a constructed tournament, I think there's something to be said for not forcing them to do the incredibly difficult process of coming up with a good list out of the 700 different cards in standard. Fair enough. And, I mean, again, I still I still hope I think it's... I think it's uh... It's. I, I like the idea of uh, kind of introducing magic by maybe someone at your store could give a new player some extra cards, could coach them along, 
you know, instead of them going and buying a pre-made deck, I think it also engages in the social aspects of it and the cooperatism that's involved. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it how it goes. Um, Jonathan, I, I agree with you. But at the same time, you can't prepackage someone individually giving that attention to a player. I think that should happen in addition to somebody buying the event deck. Why can't you say for 25 bucks? Here's a deck that's actually legitimate, and here, let me help you make that deck better. Let me tell you why that Iron Mirror is trash, should be replaced with another good card. Why don't you... Oh, sideboard, you have two into the core? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody plays artifacts, let alone multiple, so you're probably going to be... If they have an artifact, you're probably going to kill one of your own to use this card. Trash that. Put in something legitimate in the sideboard. Maybe multiple Leyline of Punishments, or cut the Leyline altogether. Having that kind of conversation, I yeah. think, is totally to be encouraged. I think that's fine. I just don't think you need to buy a pre-made deck to have that kind of conversation. And with that, I think we've beaten this, this subject... Max, you got one more thing to say before I move on? I'm just wondering why you're making this complaint now about these event decks as opposed to when they started making pre-cons for casual play, where I think it's a more a more salient complaint. Uh, well, the pre-cons for casual, I never really understood the idea of, but this I understand them to be more like wanting to bring in people into the FNMs. I think that's what these are for. But I'm not positive on that. That's just my interpretation of it. Um... Okay, so yeah, let's uh, let's wrap this segment up. We're pushing to our time limit right now. Is there any other thoughts or any final words of wisdom before we we go ahead and wrap up and tell the people how to contact us? Okay, uh, Greg, um, how do so people if you, contact? If you guys us? want to get a hold of us, um, pretty much look on your given form of media for Force Spikes. <laughs> uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, you can get a hold of us on MTG Cast. Um, you can also look for us on Channel Fireball. And um, if you want to email us, uh, it's forcebites at gmail.com. Okay. And, uh, Jared, I missed it in the chat. It looks like you had one last point you wanted to bring up uh, before we go. What was that? Well, what I was saying about hive mind and innovation, like if I, if I sit down and actually play a format, like I'm not there for a legacy event and borrowing a standard deck just to play but, like, I, I want to play the most streamlined, like, best deck I can. And, I don't know, like, you, you guys were saying how somebody would just buy this and then explain to them why it sucks, and I think that's really good. Absolutely. Like, I, uh, I don't know, that's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, absolutely, I mean, yeah, and, and, you know, we'll see what the what the ultimate effect of this is, and if it's been great, I'll eat my words, uh... You know, but ultimately, I just like to push push the creativeness and the innovation of the format. And that's just you know stylistic. But uh, you guys make very good points, and we'll see how it goes from here. That's it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We will talk to you later. Adios. Thanks, everybody. Later. Yeah.